You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 5. We're going to look today at verses 9 through 11. And uh, let me remind you as you're turning there today about the uh, youth choir program that is uh, tonight. I know it's Father's Day, but uh, if you are available tonight, I want to encourage you to come back. A church from uh, Arizona is going to be uh, coming here, a youth group. Uh, the music minister at that particular church is, uh, was a, a friend uh, in college of our Ben Simmons. And uh, so they have, uh, they're on this youth choir trip presenting their program tonight. They'll be here at 6 o'clock. And so I want to encourage you, if you don't have anything going on tonight uh, with uh, Father's Day celebrations, to come and, and uh, be an encouragement to hear and uh, hear their message about the mercy of God. What a great text this morning we have before us. And uh, we want to give our attention to it today. Romans chapter 5. Verses 9 through 11, Paul writes this, Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these uh, wonderful truths that we've been singing this morning about your work on our behalf through your Son, Jesus. And Lord, it's the only way that we'll ever be able to stand before you is in Christ. And so, Lord, as we think about this from another facet, another angle, uh, this morning from Romans 5, 9 through 11, we pray that you would speak to us the words that we need to hear and give us ears to hear. And I ask that you would use me as your instrument today. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been working on this long paragraph here, Romans 5, 1 through 11, for some time now. And uh, since it uh, flows from verse 1, since we have been justified by faith, we have. And then what follows there has been a, a listing of things, of wonderful assurances that come from having been saved by God, justified by Him, peace with God, a grace, hope of glory, joy and suffering, uh, the love of God, which has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit of God. And then we're told in verses 9 and 10 that there is much more, much more, he says. We have been reconciled to God. That phrase, much more, is one that Paul uses, you'll note, I think, four times in the chapter, two times in in our passage this morning. Barnhouse notes that the phrase reminds us that God never does anything by halves. Or if we were to reword it, we might say it like this, God never does anything halfway. 
And we should be very thankful for that today. God did not set out to save us and then somewhere along the way leave us uh, to our own devices to go the rest of the way. He didn't just do part of the salvation. Uh, he, he did all of it. As, as, as though Philippians 1.6 might say something like this, I'm sure of this, that he, that is God, who began a good work in you, now leaves it up to the rest, uh, the rest up to you. Uh, good luck. Uh, that's not what he says. God has, has done his part, uh, and now it's completely up to you. No, the truth is it's all of God. He says, I'm sure of this. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. And so what Paul is doing here in verse, uh, first 11 verses of Romans 5 is, is reminding us essentially of that truth, that the God who justifies us or saves us is the God who will take us all the way home to glory. Uh, he doesn't go halfway. He takes us all the way there. Much more, he says. This peace that he talks about, the grace, the hope, the joy, the love, the Spirit of God, reconciliation, and much more. This is all evidence that the God who justifies us and sanctifies us will one day glorify us when we get to heaven. And so this is wonderful words. This is the security of the believer. That's what Paul is talking about. How can you be sure that you're saved? Uh, how can you be sure that when you stand before God, that you will stand, that he will receive you into the glories of heaven? What assurances do you have of this in your own heart and, and life? We certainly don't want to leave this to chance. We do not want to leave this to speculation or to a vague, I hope that I've done enough. No, we need to know. And so we examine our hearts. Do we have peace with God through Jesus Christ? Have we come into His grace by faith? Uh, are we rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, the prospect of seeing Him, the prospect of, of being made perfect before Him? Is, is joy so deep-seated in us that, that we can face suffering knowing what it's producing in us? Do we have the testimony of the Holy Spirit of God living in us? Is it evidenced by the fact that He's poured out His love into our hearts? If these things are true, then you can be certain of your salvation, Paul says. He adds one more thing here to his much more, and it is reconciliation. Verse 11, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus died to reconcile us to God. This is one of the, the central motifs of, of the whole New Testament. It's a major part of God's redemptive plan for humanity, that we've been reconciled. So let's think through about this this morning and what Paul says here that uh, it would lead to us rejoicing in God, as he says there in verse 11, and surrendering ourselves to Him. First of all, we should begin with the need for reconciliation the need for it. The word reconciliation certainly implies a relational dynamic. It assumes that there has been a relationship with God. Speaking of the relationship, I think, that existed between God and Adam and Eve in the garden, 
And uh, because of Adam's sin, that relationship was broken. It was, it was severed and all of humanity, which Paul will explain beginning in verse 12 as we continue on next week. But, but he's been preparing us for this moment for the first three chapters. All of humanity having been separated from God because of sin. And therefore, humanity is in a state of hostility before God. He's reminding us of it again. Verse 8, we were still sinners. Uh, verse 9, we were facing the wrath of God. Verse 10, we were enemies of God, hostile, having hatred for Him and His Word. That is the position, according to the Bible, of every person that is apart from Christ. Hostile, enemy, facing the wrath of God. It's so difficult to accept that uh, in, in, in many ways, and I think many unbelievers struggle with that because some would say something like, well, I don't hate God. I mean, I might be indifferent, indifferent to Him, but I don't hate Him. But, but people are indifferent. When they are indifferent to the God who created them and the God who has given them the blessings of common grace, and they turn from Him in indifference, what is that but hatred? We, we, you may not feel that, but when your life and your choices and your sins reflect that hostility toward God, it's hard to argue with it. This happens publicly and perniciously in our culture today. We see people filled with pride celebrating their sin and rebelling against God and His created order in the most depraved ways, but it also happens subtly, doesn't it? With friends and neighbors whom you may know and have who are super nice people. I mean, super nice, kind people, but who are rebelling against God because they've not embraced His Son, Jesus. Apathy and indifference are also hostile, hostile ways in which we approach God. And I want to press a bit here because if that's you, you might say, well, again, I just do not feel this way. But, but I want to remind you, it does not matter how you feel about this. It doesn't matter how you feel about this or what you think about this, but because when it comes to our relationship with God, our salvation, it is not what we think that matters, but rather what God says. And we have to embrace this. It is God who must be satisfied in this matter, not you, not you or me. This isn't two equal parties. This isn't a holy God, creator of the universe, and, and us as though we're on equal terms. No, it's puny old little us. And so don't think for a moment that a person who is rejecting the clear word of God, unrepenting of their sins that they are somehow okay with God. And do not presume that for yourself, no matter how you feel about it. Yes, there's a sense in which God displays to His uh, creatures common love and grace and goodness. It, it, and, and it's especially true in the fact that the gospel call goes out to everyone, doesn't it? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. But you understand, those who don't believe will perish, he says. To believe in Him means to submit your life in repentance and faith to Him. 
Sproul writes this, the New Testament speaks about reconciliation because reconciliation to God is so greatly and earnestly needed. We are estranged from God. Not only are we at enmity with God, but God is in enmity with us. He's the, he is the natural enemy of corrupt sinners. And so we, we have right off the bat a reminder for us, and, and I, we've said this, and I've said this often because it's so true. All of your problems will go away at death. Every one of the things that you're worried about today and concerned about today will go away upon your death, except one, your sin before a holy God and your need to be reconciled to Him. And the Bible is so plain about this, Hebrews 9, 27, it's appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. If, if, it, is, if it will be the greatest question then, <laughs> It is the most important question now. The greatest need of our lives is to be reconciled with God. And so here is the good news of the gospel. Even though we offend God and we run from God, and then we sometimes turn around and blame God for all of our problems, in the midst of all of this sinfulness, verse 8, J.D. read it earlier, God shows His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How wonderful is this? That, that God does something for us. He takes the initiative to restore this broken relationship. He takes the, the first step, if you will. So notice, secondly, the means of reconciliation. The means of it. And you could put several words in that blank. The means uh, is a man, isn't he? It's a man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. God sends His Son. And, and, you, and you might even stop and say right there, why do we need the Son? Why does he, he's he do this? And it's a great question because there's a lot of folks that do not think that Jesus was needed. Uh, you, you ask them, what is your plan uh, to, to stand before God and get into, and get into heaven. What are you going to say when you're standing before Him in the judgment of why He should let you in? And most people will say today, because of my good works. Because I've, 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 I've done this and that, and I've tried hard, and I've been nice to people in the community, and then there will be some religious folks that will say, well, you know, I went to church every week, and I said my prayers, and, and, and I helped others. And when that answer, when that is your answer, practically speaking, you understand you're saying you don't need Jesus to save you because you are your own Savior. And yet, if that's true, why did God send Jesus? Why is the sending of Jesus literally the theme and the climax and the glory of the whole Bible, the center of it all, of God's plan to save His people, His death and resurrection? Again, we don't get to decide the terms of our salvation. We're not on equal footing here with God. This isn't a negotiation. There, there isn't many ways to God. There, there's not many ways to salvation. God has He's given us a book, and, and He has told us how. And so, listen to how Paul communicates this. He communicates it with a very little word, uh, the word by. 
By Jesus, this reconciliation is made possible. Notice it in each of the verses. Verse 9, since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Verse 10, we were reconciled to God, he says, by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Uh, verse 11, more than that, we also rejoice in God through, we change the word, but it's the same concept, through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul is, is declaring here the, the glorious work of, of our redemption, of our reconciliation, in which God is taking the initiative, doing what we cannot do for ourselves through Jesus' work on the cross, paying for our sins, making atonement for us, satisfying the wrath of God completely. He has reconciled us to God. And notice, not just in His death, but in His life, verse 10, we're saved by His life. Even right now, as we're worshiping Christ, the resurrected Christ, sits at the right hand of the Father as our mediator, making intercession for us right now. He's our peacemaker before God. He lives forever, continuing in that role of representing us before the Father. We just sung about it a moment ago, before the throne of God above I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives, and he pleads for me. The Bible is teaching that reconciliation is not just our, our greatest need here, but it's at the heart of, of the good news. It's at the heart of the gospel message. Listen to how Paul describes the impact of this on his own ministry. I think Jason read this earlier. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself. And notice this. Paul says God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that is to proclaim this good news of what Jesus has done. That is, verse 19, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. This, is, this was Paul's ministry and his message, he tells them. A, mes a ministry of imploring others on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Why is that? Because it's the greatest need. And the only means of that reconciliation is a man, the Son of God, our mediator, Jesus Christ. It's really important that we come back to this. Uh, over and over again. There's a growing segment of, of religious people in, in, in our country, I think, who don't see the need for reconciliation, who don't understand this concept. And we continue to move away from it in, in, in messages that are being preached. And, and I think folks trading it for something altogether different. 
As reminded again this week, sociologists call it moral therapeutic deism. And it's pervading messages, Christian messages that are heard today. It has five tenets. Think about these tenets for a moment. God created and ordered the world and watches over life on the earth. Number two, God wants people to be good, nice, and fair to each other. Number three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. Number four, God is not particularly involved in our lives except to resolve problems. And number five, good people go to heaven when they die. And I encourage you to think about things that you listen to. I hope that you recognize that that kind of message will never reconcile anyone to God. If you hear tenets of that being preached from the people that you listen to on your podcast or, or that you follow on your social media, I hope that you will recognize the unhelpful heresy that such a message is. The greatest need of the world is not that we would be nicer to each other, but that we would be reconciled to God. It's not our happiness and self-esteem that is at the center of God's attention and focus. That does not need to be built up, but rather laid bare for what it is, sinfulness and our need for a Savior. And like Paul, when you turn from your sins and put your faith in Christ, you become a new creation. The, the old has gone, he says. The orientation of your life changes when you come to Christ. It changes from a, a you-ward focus to a God-ward focus. You don't glory in your sins. You hate your sins when you come to Christ. You want to put them to death. You do not want to flaunt them before others. You love God's Word because you love Him. You know that His Word is how, you, how He speaks to you. And, and, and you want to pray to Him, but it is because how you speak to Him. And all of this is because you have been reconciled to God. You, you are now in a relationship with the Heavenly Father. It changes your life. Amen? Which brings us third to the joy of reconciliation, the joy. Verse 11, more than that, he says, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. The, re the result of reconciliation is unspeakable joy. Unspeakable joy. You remember, this is where he started at uh, <laughs> several weeks ago, verse 2, we are rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, verse 3, we are rejoicing in our sufferings. And then verse 11, something even more wonderful, we are rejoicing in God Himself, Paul says. All of these wonderful assurances, these gifts given to us at salvation is a cause for rejoicing in the one who gives them. From the beginning of our Christian life, when we're justified, saved, verse 1, to the end of it, the hope of the glory of God, our glorification, the Christian life is meant to be one of joy, rejoicing. 
Why would a Christian not be joyful in light of these wonderful truths here? The Christian, Paul says, who understands these things will be about rejoicing. Remember the word boasting, glorying, exulting in God. True Christian faith will always lead us to this focus, to this rejoicing in God. And it's a great question for application today. Are you rejoicing in God? Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. But he doesn't stop there. He comes back in the next chapter and he says, Philippians 4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And as though we didn't hear it, he says again, I will say, rejoice. This is one of the, the chief characteristic of our lives. A fruit, a fruit of the Spirit living in us. And there's something amiss in the heart of, 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 of us and those who are always miserable and complaining and criticizing. Because those who have received re reconciliation, Paul says, has every reason to rejoice and their life is marked by such rejoicing, rejoicing in all circumstances because of these things. One commentary put it very bluntly, there's no room for the sourpuss in the kingdom of God. There's nothing dire about our redemption. If we suffer to a degree that nobody has ever been called to suffer, a modern-day Job sitting on a dung heap, we would have no right to say anything different from what Job declared, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. No affliction so dire, no sorrow so deep, no pain so intense is worthy to be compared to the glory of our reconciliation that we have received in Christ. He goes on to say this, we contemplate our state of affairs in this world. We see our bank accounts slipping away, our homes, families destroyed, our jobs lost, our bodies torn by disease. We have every reason to complain wine and weep. But if we lift our eyes for one second to the cross and the resurrection, we see that the Lord God omnipotent, who is too holy even to look at us, now looks at us and embraces us and adopts us as his children because he's been reconciled to us. Isn't that true, church? To rejoice in God is the greatest of all human activities because what He has done for us is the greatest of all things, <laughs> reconciling us to Himself. Joy flows from those who have been reconciled. So is it flowing from you today? Is there joy flowing from you? Are you rejoicing in God? Do you find yourself, having now studied these first 11 verses of Romans 5, that you find yourself rejoicing in the God of your salvation? I heard that someone quipped the other day that these sermons from Romans are all about salvation, and uh, it feels like that we're getting saved every week. Uh, can we just move on to something else? And, and what I would say to that calmly to you, and, and as nicely as I can, but if those thoughts are coming into your mind, you, you may need to be saved yourself. Uh, you need to be asking, why am I not rejoicing in these things? Why am I not rejoicing in this God who has saved me and reconciled me to this way? If you've ever gotten over that fact, you, you may not have ever had it to begin with. 
Lloyd-Jones put forth a, a few reasons why we fail to glory and rejoice in God in this way. He listed several of them. The first we've kind of touched on is to, that we've failed to grasp the truth of our justification. We just haven't understood all of how these things have worked that Paul has been laying out. Uh, secondly, you're, you, you st- may be still trusting uh, in, in some measure in your own works or your own goodness to save you. I mean, Paul warned about this, how easily we drift back into this thing. We think, oh, God saved us, but he he's only works halfway. He's not able to take us all the way home, so I've got to take it on, on myself here. The, the, the truth is you cannot be rejoicing in God and in yourself at the same time. The person who glories in himself or herself does not glory in God. Paul asked the Galatians, chapter 3, verse 3, Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, that you're now being perfected by the flesh? We're all subject to this because we, we tend to drift back to ourselves over and over again, to our own good works rather than Christ, and it will always kill your joy when you do. That's another reason why this moral therapeutic deism, which is all about you and your actions and your application and your life and your happiness and you, 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 and you, will eventually kill your joy because there's no assurance of salvation in that. There's no rejoicing in God in that. There's no Godward focus to that. Another hindrance to joy is failing to meditate and think about these things. Uh, Isaac Watts wrote the, his great hymn, uh, When I Survey the wondrous cross. But so often we don't survey these things, do we? We just, we just it's, it's like we, we, we just don't think about these things. And it's why, frankly, if you neglect your time in God's Word and prayer each day, you're, going, you're not going to have joy. If you don't keep coming back to this, you're not going to have joy. Uh, seeking this joy from other things rather than Jesus will hinder your joy as a Christian. Christians who, who seem to be infatuated with uh, spiritual entertainment, we, we might say, who, who are always looking for a substitute for God's Word and prayer and, and that relationship, always looking for something else, the latest book, the coolest fad in worship, the hippest preacher, or on and on and on, rather than looking to the glorious Christ who saved you. That is where our joy is, church. Don't be led astray by chasing after these other things. Rejoicing in God is always the result of learning these great doctrines, slowing down, looking at them, thinking about them, dwelling on them often in our minds. In church, to rejoice in God is to reflect on Him, His nature, His being, His character, what He's done. And to the extent that it all comes through, Lord Jesus, through the Lord Jesus Christ, only then will we rejoice, giving Him praise and what honor and glory. It's only those ultimately here, and, and this is the whole Paul's point in Romans 5, 1, all the way here to the end, that only those who know God through Jesus Christ can ever find their joy and rejoice in Him. We're about to sing this great song. There's a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And then it says, the dying thief 
rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. And there have I, though vowed as he, washed all my sins away. Has he? Are you rejoicing in God today? It only comes through Christ. This week I spoke to a father who, uh, Gary Foster, who lost his son, uh, Lou, Lou Foster's son as well. Gary and Lou's son, David, passed away at 40 years old. Suddenly, this week, he spoke to him on a Sunday night, last Sunday night, and he died suddenly on Monday. There's nothing more important than the fact that four months ago, he and his wife and his oldest son trusted Christ and were baptized. Four months. Do not put these things off, friend. We need to be looking to Christ as our Savior now. Today is the day of salvation. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. Uh, for these clear words about what you have done to reconcile us to yourself. May we find our hearts filling up with joy, uh, even as we close with this song, and even as we leave today, with joy, as, we have trusting in, as we're trusting in Christ and following him. And Lord, we do pray if there's one who doesn't know you, they would not presume that they have tomorrow but they would look to Jesus Christ today, for today is the day of salvation. If they will cry out to him in repentance and faith, may they find, like this dying thief did, that that fountain is still working, cleansing us from our sins. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.